Space makers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing, friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at thejshop.thej. J, just the letter, J. You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code MAKINGSPACEPOD for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings and they're such a statement piece and people will be definitely making space for you in these. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space, both literally and figuratively for other people and yourself. I am Sarah Heath, and this is my amazing co-host, Josie. That's me. That's you. Josie, you have got something odd on your head. It's just a I mean, necklace. People can't see this. I'm super good at podcasting, friends. Really good at it. Yeah, I'm a little funky today. A little delirious. It's fine. Um, which makes me a little bit nervous. Why are you delirious? I'm anxious. Are you anxious because I just found out I have COVID? Yes, I'm anxious because you just had COVID. It's fine. Yeah, friends, that's the news. I just found out as of a couple hours ago that I am COVID positive. And so, friends, I took very seriously wearing a mask, cleaning, washing my hands. I did go on a trip with friends, but I tested before I went. And tested when I got back and followed all the rules while I was up there, except for being around a couple of friends. And so not sure where I got it from, but I have got COVID lucky. I think I'm lucky so far that I just am a little bit under the weather and I have a really sore back. And Josie and I have only seen each other once in passing and we were wearing masks. So I think she is fine, but we're still nervous. And I think that's fair. Well, I mean, I know I'll survive probably. I'm pretty young. Um, but my nerve pain disorder would make it probably difficult. Mostly probably annoying to my partner who would have to then take care of me. So, you know, it's fine. We'll be fine. I think that I think the thing that's a little bit scary for everyone is we don't know the lasting effects. I know. Exactly. And I I mean the whole lung thing makes me nervous because I do have um I'm gonna admit something to you friends. I like to have stress cigarettes on occasion. And if I have uh, lung damage Jody. it's on occasion, all right. And I don't wanna have to give that up because of COVID. All right. I wanna give it up because I wanna wow. be a better human being, not because of COVID. Okay. Okay. I think we've opened up here something. Um Josie. <laughs> Not good for you. And it's hard too, because like I'm a runner, so I want to run. But this, these are the, um, I would call them, they're not convenient inconveniences that we're having to consider or go through. And I just imagine all the people who are so sick with it. And the other thing is, is for me, my friends are nurses that I was spending time with. And so my biggest fear or the thing that's been causing me anxiety today is if I somehow got it without knowing and then gave it to my friends who are on the frontline workers. So that's been kind of a crazy thing today. Um, just trying to uh, coordinate, making sure that we know when I started having symptoms, like, you know, doing our own sort of tracing of that. So that is for sure something that's on our minds. Anything else you want to chat about? Oh, we have merchandise, which we talk about. Yes. Uh, guys, where can people find the merch? 
You're going to making, oh, uh, not making this big. Well, I'm working on the website, but that's probably not going to happen yet. Uh, go to society six slash making spaces podcast and you'll find t-shirts are our specialty. But if you want a phone case, if you want a traveling mug, if you want a credenza, those are available as well. Bar stools. It's, it's great. It's a great time. It's funny, but we're not going to judge you. You pay for what you want. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you so much. Uh, we, it really was from a conversation with Chris Rodriguez where he said, just in passing really quick, you know, people belong here because they are here. And I said, wait, stop. Mm-hmm. That is such a good saying. Um, mm-hmm. the, the truth of what I believe is like our divine right to be um, present um, and to make space for ourselves and others is because we are here because we have been created because we are in this space. We belong in this space. So I'm excited for that. We're going to have other designs coming out, but why don't you grab your family, friends, anyone, some Christmas gear, great Christmas present and mm-hmm. then socially distance. My Thanksgiving is going to be spent in quarantine guys. So much fun. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of fun this week, uh, we are excited to share with you our conversation with Matthew Paul Turner, Matthew Paul Turner, inspiring human being. Oh, so inspiring. He uh, was a memoir author, a journalist, photographer, children's book creator is his latest thing. And it is incredible. Um, I joked around about when you can find your friend's book in Target, but it is it is just amazing how he makes space for um, children to talk about God and to talk about diversity and um the conversation I keep thinking back on, and I, I think you'll hear it more and more is how he really um, just sort of kept leaning into, um, I really think I want to create this book, even when he was getting a bunch of no's back. So. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that he is so in- intentionally trying to redirect this idea of God, right? Like he, she, they, God is everyone right. and everything. He uses different pronouns. Mm-hmm. That is wild, especially coming from like, you know, us evangelical, ex-evangelicals. Like, yes, thank you. Finally, I don't have to um, teach my children this linear box of God or whatever. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a great conversation. And he's just a wonderful human um, to chat with. You should follow him on all the things that at the end, he'll let you know how to do that. But him and his family have gone through quite a journey this last couple of months during COVID-19. And so you should definitely check him out, check his story out. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation and stick around at the end to find out how to stay in touch with us. And don't forget to leave us voicemails. Friends, get on it. Yeah, what the heck? Give me a voicemail. Ugh. <laughs> that was fun. So like it was an expensive risk and, and it, you know, it paid off, but I had to believe in something. And but I, I there was something about it. Like I you know how when you write something and it moves you and then it be there's a moment in it where it becomes its own thing that affects you as much as like you almost become separate from it. Like there are moments when your art or when you when you can look at it and you can almost that you're not so close to it, especially as time goes on. Like there are moments where I'm still sort of like I read, I see when God made you and it doesn't immediately connect that it's my book. And I know that's weird and that probably doesn't make no, that sense. That totally makes like, sense to anyone who is a creative, which is most of our listeners. On a, it has taken on a life of its own. That is, yes, my name is on it and 
I know that it's my book, but it is, there are, I don't use this idea lightly. I don't use the concept of, you know, that maybe that was something inspired by something bigger than me. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, so good to have you here. This is uh, the Making Spaces podcast. I'm uh, Sarah Heath, and this is my amazing co-host, Josie Jimenez. And this is a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively. So we talk to designers, creatives. We talk to people who create community. We just talk to anyone who really will talk to us, if we're honest. Um, <laughs> and today we have a uh, an amazing guest, a friend of mine, Matthew Paul Turner, who is a children's book uh, writer. And I have to tell you, uh, someone whose books I tear up every time I see them in Target because I'm so, I love them so much. I buy them for gifts for people all the time. So if you are a family member, you've received a book from this man. Um, he wrote a book called When I Pray for You, um, When God Made You. I mean, just incredible books, but he's not uh, just a space maker for children, but really trying to work on the idea of diversity in the narrative in children's books, but also making space for um, just difference. And so I'm really excited to have you here. I am Matthew. so, I'm kind of thrilled to be here. So it's, uh, it's hey. awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Oh, I love it. So we start with kind of like we lob a question towards people and some people take it really deep and some people take it like, oh, really no. like, um, <laughs> the question is this, are you ready? Oh, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> Where is one of your favorite spaces and why? Oh, um, you know, currently, because of the you know the pandemic that we are living through, it's um, it has sh changed. But I live right across the street from a what we call a greenway, that is a place where people run and walk and ride bikes. And I have found like there are little paths that go off that greenway, and there's a little space that goes down to this this river that I have spent a lot of time there of, of late because it's one of the few places no one else goes. It's really, really close. It's sort of a um, place that it, it's not necessarily the prettiest of all places, but it's very green and very, you know, it's, it's nature. Um, and it is, uh, it has been a, a, a really wonderful light amid this strange weird time that we're existing in that we're all getting used to now but like uh but that that little place down by the river that is i mean i could throw a baseball at it just but i can't see it from my house because of the woods but it's um it has become a place where i just have i have cried i have written i have laughed i have all the things so been, I, been my escape yeah, I think that's incredible to have a place to go that's in nature, but it's close. It's somewhere you can go. And I think, I don't know about you guys, but when this whole thing started, I um, I was like, can I still walk my dog? I didn't know like exactly what quarantine would look like. Like right. what were the rules? How is this going to go? We only had the example of um, both stuff that was happening in Asia and also in Europe. And it felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be locked in my house, which I like my house, but it's not that big. <laughs> and, and it's it, it becomes really super small real quick if you're there. Real quick. For, like, I mean, it just, 
Um, and, and, you know, you also had the, you all, I also didn't know if I did, was I allowed to walk outside without a mask? Um, if, if I was just walking around, you know, walking down the street and, you know, where there was really very few people that I would ever pass, but, you know, and, and certainly some people, you do see some people that walk on the greenway that are wearing masks and I have worn a mask there, but it's, um, but I feel I mean, I feel like I don't have to because there's not enough people, but it's still, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of became a, become a safe place. We all like, we all really need that space now because, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to be inside. I know for my kids, it's really been, that's been a hard adjustment for them. Um, and you know, just them getting along with their siblings, dear heavenly father. Oh my! I can only imagine <laughs> so many things. Jesse has trouble getting along with her partner, so and he and, and you chose him. <laughs> I know. I'm like, you're in my space right now. This whole apartment is my space, and you're in it. And I need you to see. Oh, this is my favorite about thing about Josie. She jokes around all the time about I can't. He like he's not feeding me. The, the agreement mm-hmm. was we get married. He feeds me, yeah. and he's not living up to that. But so she wants him. And if he's gone, then she misses him terribly, like terribly. (laughs) But then he has only so much time that he's allowed to be present. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, get out my space. (laughs) I am um, an extremely social introvert, but my introversion is very extreme. A lot of people are like, oh, my partner doesn't count. You know, they're an extension of me. No, he 100% counts. I need him out of my space for me to be an introvert. (laughs) That's yeah. I mean, it it doesn't matter who it is for me. Like my introvert, like it has to be alone. Like I have to be by myself to refill. Um, and it's it, because and there are moments when I'm around people and I have like I become unable to function fully. Like unable to, to put sentences together. On it, like or I just I need space and time. And and then you know and and it took me a while to to not feel guilty about that. Isn't that weird how we just- uh, Not at all, because (laughs) right now in this very moment, my former um, assistant who is a dear, dear friend of mine is out on my patio with her husband. They are having coffee. Um, I went running with him this morning and then did a quick change to be able, I did shower just for the (laughs) record, Um, a quick change to be able to join you guys. But um, I, Amy would come with me to events when I was speaking at events and she would say, you've peopled enough. So actually she, where we met originally was the Wild Goose Festival. And I often have like several things that I'm speaking at. And Amy's come with me to simply remind me that like, you're actually not an extrovert. You're someone who can be in the world as an extrovert, but you're actually an introvert. And I start doing exactly what you're talking about where sentences aren't, I'm not able to, and I kind of glaze over. And if you know me really well, you're like, Sarah has peopled, like she's done. I'm actually an introvert. Who, yeah, and I'll, I'll even start looking past people. Like it's like I'm not. I'm looking in their direction, but I'm not mm-hmm. really looking at them. Um, and it's uh, you lose the ability to be present in that very moment. And you know, especially someplace at Wild Goose, because then you have you, you also have your ADHD that is like you know, there's all the things that you can look at and all the people that are you know, walking around, and there's just a lot to see. 
So. And they're incredible people. So you want to be, you don't want right. to miss any of it. It's almost like being at like at a festival kind of thing. But, but I think the most, too. The most amazing festival. Like it, there have been yes. festivals that you go to and you just don't like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'd rather not be here. But like the, there, it is a community and it's just, it's beautiful, beautiful space. And so like, I, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely different, but it's definitely triggers my ADHD. So Oh, so bad. I have ADHD too, actually. Um, I got diagnosed like right after I had seen you guys a couple of years ago. And I remember Jamie um, talking about, uh, Jamie Lynn Finch talking about her. No, who has it? Jamie? Right. The other Jamie. Jamie Wright? Jamie Wright uh, has okay. it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember just madly texting her, do you medicate? Because I don't have the typical ADHD things. Now, if you know me really well, like Josie does, when I get overwhelmed, I all of a sudden will forget that you told me like time and dates. And and I almost become like obsessive around times and dates because I know my inability to keep them all tracked. Yeah. And then it becomes too many thoughts in my head. I don't necessarily have that hyper side, probably because I do run and all kinds of other things to sort of mitigate it. But um, man, I hate being at an event like that and being so worried that like, have I forgot this? Do I need to do this? And I have to make sure all of that is structured so that I can actually make space for me to be present with the people in front of me. Um, right. Well, before I was medicated, I like, I had paranoia. Like it mm. would, it, like I would get, you know, during the, the most extreme times where it would, I would become, I, I would sometimes not be able to focus, but then there would be other times where I would hyper focus on the yes. very wrong thing. And it became like semi-obsessive where I, you know, wanted to know like what somebody was thinking and how they were, why they were responding to me that way. Did you just look at me that way because you were upset? Did I do something? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, And I didn't, it wasn't until I started seeing my psychiatrist that I realized that I, all those things were connected to not being able to pay attention and not being able to be present in the moment that you wanted to be present in. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that ADHD and OCD are often um, either misdiagnosed or cross-diagnosed. So I have both, I suppose, right. supposedly. Um, right. And at some point, you just start saying, I'm neuroatypical, um, which I had a good friend, the first person to actually point out to me that they thought, Sarah, I think you're ADHD. And I was so offended because I'm a child of the 80s. So that <laughs> means like the kid who has ADHD is the kid that you're like, oh, they're so annoying. They like can't focus. They're and I did great at school and all that kind of stuff. But to recognize that um, I actually can focus on more than one thing, which is abnormal in a human brain. But um, my OCD side is that like I can become hyper-focused on the wrong thing. So, um, and then become quite, you know, a little bit like too wrapped up in it. And I think in a weird way, it's created ability to make space for other people because I'm aware now, like um, not everyone has the same capacity to pay attention or listen or engage um, with my work or whatever it might be. And that's not an offensive thing. And also like, Hey, not everyone who speaks at an event can notice everybody and what they're doing and can like read a room (laughs) the way that I do. And that can be a gift or it can be like a big challenge. Yeah. no, And and that's exactly, I have that same gift about the whole room thing where I, I can, I can read a room. I can read an individual in a room. Like I, I, I'm a, like I have this, crazy ability to feel like what's happening the person who really needs to be spoken to as opposed to just you know being you know I know lots of people want to talk 
but then there's that one person that needs to talk. Like I can, I can kind of pick up on it. Yeah. It's Absolutely. my, my psychic, I guess, you know, <laughs> yeah, or is that like some sort it's of empathic? Fine, it's a fine line between being a person of faith and being a psychic. <laughs> um, Kevin Garcia would say we're all witches. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. <laughs> I love it. We are all just I, beautiful witches. Oh, do not tell my that mom that because she will blow a gas. I love that guy. Right, I love that guy too. And they have made me feel and be more comfortable in so much, in so many areas of life. Like I did there, they challenge me and like, I just, I, I, I yeah. They are obviously, my, what he, they are my people. Yeah. <laughs> every day we talk. I think almost every day, Kevin and I talk. Um, we're actually starting a, uh, a podcast that will be coming out soon called ask your aunties, which will be a question and answer with your two favorite aunties, your aunt, who's a spiritual leader and your aunt, who is a spiritual leader, which would be Kevin and I, <laughs> so, I it'll be I, fun. I love that idea. That's amazing. <laughs> I wonder, I'm just thinking about both. So Josie's also a photographer. So one of the things that I know about Matthew and, um, I always like, if I think about you, I think about you both engaging things, but then with your lens out and your camera out. And I wonder if having a camera has allowed, so both of you are Renaissance people, which we just talked to someone about what it means to be a Renaissance person, because I didn't know you wrote children's book. In my mind, in, I knew you had edited for magazines and that you were a speaker and then you were a photographer. I had no idea that you were the Matthew, whose books, I'd actually already written, bought one of your books before and I had met you and then been like, wait a Oh, like, I, you know how you just don't <laughs> yeah. put some things together? Well, I mean, and, and lots of people know my, like, know my name, but ne don't know my face because my, I don't put my face in the book. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, it is what it is. Like I, but I, so lots of people like that, like, you know, they realize it on the, you know, when it's too late. Oh my gosh, I met that guy, you know, whatever. Right. And children's books have always been a big thing, but I'm wondering as photographers, if like, like the camera becomes a way of capturing that moment, if it becomes like when you're at an event or when you're taking pictures. So Josie, you have how many weddings this weekend? Well, I have an elopement and then a big full wedding. My first couple weddings, I'm not a wedding photographer at all. I don't do weddings. <laughs> I'm I've actually done, interested to see what that's going to look two, like. I've done two weddings and I, yeah, I, it takes a completely different mindset for, uh, you know, for someone to do a wedding. And I, but when you're, when you're hungry, you'll do them or that kind of a thing. But like, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not something that I am naturally fit for. But the reason why I chose to do one of the weddings I did, it was, it was being held at an Elvis Presley wedding chapel. <laughs> and, and I was like, I have to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, I, I felt called to do it after that. So it was just sort of, and it was just, it was it just everything you thought that it was going to be. It was that. And it was, they wanted things to be different and unique and have a special vibe to it. So it was just, um, yeah, I, but I have so much respect for people who do it from a, do it every weekend. And it's like, I mean, I, the stress, the st oh, I can't handle it. So yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's like to have to create something every weekend, but I feel like it would be stressful. Oh, wait, that's my life. <laughs> you know, Sunday is always coming and yeah. always having to be creative and having to always do that. Did you ever work in a church? No. 
I mean, I, I just volunteer. What? I mean, but I, I have enough friends who have worked in churches, so I know a little bit about the volume of things that are coming at people and the like the stress that like I've never met some of the most stressed out anxious people are people who work in churches. And I just, I mean, and I understand it because like they're, you know, it's, it's like, it's like getting paid for a job, but feeling like you're a little bit of a volunteer all the time because you're working with a board and that board's a volunteer. Like, it's just, there's a lot of the weirdest, like there's very few uh, jobs that are quite like it. You know, you're, you're called a shepherd, but you also have to be a CEO. And so like, it's just, it's a weird mindset for people have to get in. It's messy. So I'm, I would love to know how you got to writing children's books and then how you've been able to add such diversity into it and sort of where that came from, where that making space for, because I really believe some of the most um, profound experiences I had in a ch- as a child was reading children's books. So um, there is, uh, I need to look up his name. Um, Robert Munch, I think is his name. I still have his books and he was a Canadian children's author. Um, I don't know if he was in America at all, but um, his books are still like, I learned some of my biggest life lessons from that. And so when did you, how did you get into this writing yeah. books that matter in a lot of ways? Well, you know, I wrote, um, I wrote books for adults. Like I, I wrote a couple memoirs prior to writing children's books and, and, and wrote books that, you know, that I would pour so much life and so much time and so much energy into, and then nobody would read them or nobody would buy them. And it would, you know, and just like, and I, and then sometimes I'd write books just because I needed food on the table and whatever. And so like, there was just so much writing. Um, After uh, having kids though, I realized how, I realized that there were very few books about God or that had God, that God was anywhere in the, the, the narrative that I could read to my kids out loud, um, that, that I did, wasn't changing things, um, that I wasn't, um, may having to feel like I'm editing. And I'm like, why is this? Or, or that were just so incredibly cheesy to such a degree that you're just like, <laughs> Oh, this is like, you know, and it's one thing for a book about nothing or a book about something that's hilarious, you know, to be, to be weird and cheesy, like you can kind of get by on that. Um, but when it's about God, and I'm not saying that books for kids about God can't be funny or can't have a, you know, you know, an, an ironic edge to them at times. Um, but it just, I just found myself self-editing in my head. And, and the other thing is when I did find one that I would be able to read, my, my kids my kids would have much rather me read Llama Llama or, you know, any list of other books that were available to them. Have you heard Llama Llama read by Ludacris? Because that will change your life. Oh, I might have to go do that now. It's like, I, never, <laughs> like I, Sorry. yeah, we, our family loves llamas now because of those books, because they've just, they're, they've been the one staple that all of my kids have really gotten involved in and like really, really loved throughout their childhood. Um, but, but anyway, so I, I, uh, one of the very first types of writing I did as a teenager, like I, I was the kid who 
um, carried around a, no a spiral notebook all the time um, that wrote down poetry and wrote down rhymes that I would turn into songs in my head or I would rewrite. And I, I was raised in shaking her head. You can't like <laughs> people who are listening only cannot see not on the YouTube channel. She's just like, mm -hmm, cause that's her. Yeah. Still. I, I rewrote, I mean, I, I was raised in a very, very strict conservative faith-based home. And so I would rewrite songs <laughs> <laughs> that were, you know, meant to be about sex and drugs and alcohol, and I'd rewrite them to be about Jesus, <laughs> you know. Which is I mean, not that hard to do, because a lot of the worship songs are super right, crazy. Right, right. So, so true. And so it was, um, it, rhyming was something that I loved to do. And so it, when I, after having kids, I just, I set aside time and space, um, outside of my normal work to dream up if I was going to write a book about God for my kids, what would that look like? And how would I, you know, and it's, and I wrote some terrible, terrible, um, you know, poetry, uh, for, at first. And it was, I eventually landed on this concept of God making light. And I just started to envision what would, if God made light, what would it look like? in that first moment. And because there are so many layers to the concept from a scripture standpoint of, of light, of us being light and, and light being inside of us and that, you know, you know, God being a light, like it just, there's lots of ways. And so I weaved this book called When God Made Light. And I loved the, the loved what I've written. I finally got to a place and I sent it out to people and they gave me a few edits, but they like everyone I sent it to, they really loved it. And so I sent it to my agent who was not a children's book agent. Um, like he has no, like really it was a brand new area for him. And I didn't think that he was going to do it. Like I honestly thought that he was going to say no to me right off. Um, and he, he's like, Matthew, this is really good. Let's, let's go for it. I got 11 no's from every publisher he sent it out to like i mean like some of them came back fast some some of them came back and said no because it was me who was <laughs> who had written it <laughs> because i was i was known at that time as the blogger jesus needs new pr <laughs> and, and so it, i had developed a reputation for just not for causing trouble um because like I, because I didn't have a church or I didn't have like a board that I was reporting to, I could say things and get away with it. Um, you know, it's kind of like me and Ra Rachel and I came up in that same Rachel Held Evans and I came up in that same um, world where, where we didn't have churches just uh, to connect it to our stories. And so there we could get away with saying and challenging culture in a way that lots of other people couldn't. And so we did. Um, and I got in trouble for it. And it, you know, I definitely had moments where it was, um, where it got me in trouble. And so I got no, got some no's because of that. Anyway, I ended up self-publishing the book. And we sold almost all 5,000 copies that we, you know, had printed. And for a children's book, that was a big deal. And so Random House, the, the editor that I worked with at Random House, 
um, in their faith division, they came back to me and asked or and said, hey, we'd like to consider publishing this now. And so that's how I got into it. And in the meantime, I had started writing When God Made You. That was the first book that I released in a wide, you know, to, to you know, through a publisher. And then When God Made Light became the second book. It's a... Uh... I think it's an important part of the story to not glaze over is that you had to self-publish your first book and that you had to believe in it enough to say, I've gotten 11 no's, yeah. but there's something about this that matters. I think so often we hit I that. Like, the money. I mean, it's exp- because it's for yes. color. It's like, you know, you know, you have to hire a illustrator cause I'm not, I don't have that gift. And so like it was, it was a, it was a expensive risk. Um, and it, you know, it paid off, but, um, certainly it's, uh, it was, yeah, I did. I, I had to believe in something and, but I, I, there was something about it. Like I, you know, um, you know how, when you write something and it moves you and then it be, there's a moment in it, in it where it's like, it becomes its own thing that affects you as much as like, you almost become separate from it. Like there are moments when, your art or when you, when you, when you can look at it and you can almost that you're not so close to it, especially as time goes on. Like there are moments where I'm still sort of like, I read, I see when God made you and it doesn't immediately connect that it's my book. And I know that's weird. And that probably doesn't make no, sense. That totally makes like, sense to anyone who is a creative, which is most of our it's listeners. On a, it's taken on a different, it has taken on a life of its own that is yes my name is on it and i know that it's my book but it is there there are i don't use this idea lightly i don't use the concept of you know that that maybe that was something inspired by something bigger than me like i that 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 it's taken on its own thing and i and i can look at it and i can still be moved by it um because i believe in it and i and it's really good and i and it's not like there are some rhymes in it. I go back and I, and even the weird ones that I'm like, oh, I wish I would, I don't need, like, I just, I embrace them because it has taken on, it, it has, I've gotten more letters. The one thing about children's book that has, um, and you know, you bring it up her, you, where you still have this like beautiful connection to the books that you read as a child. Like what I didn't know about children's books is where where they would end up like i i have gotten letters from um ministers who a minister in uh new hampshire sent me a letter and said i have spent the last three or four weeks um working as a volunteer for hospice and helping this 100 year old lady enter the next you know next space and one of her requests every time I was there was for her, was for me to read your book when God made you. And I, you know, I didn't read or I didn't write that book or those words before that kind of scenario. Like I don't, I didn't, the idea that my words would help somebody enter into eternity or whatever, or, or, you know, pass on. Like, I don't, like I, that was not even my intention, but that's the, the beautiful thing about children's literature is that it goes into places and it can, 
it can create dialogue, um, you know, for adults or for parents or, uh, or for people, you know, going through difficult experiences um, as much as it can for children. In some cases more so, I think. Um, because I think that there are like, uh, there are moments in each of my books that are written for more for the adult or the parent or the person reading it than they are for the child. I think they will become moments that have, that mean something for the child, but, um, they don't, the child's not going to fully understand it. Um, nope. because it's a big concept, you know, God is a big, big concept. And so when, you know, you're, uh, writing this idea, so be you fully, you a show stopping review, live your life in full color, every tint, every hue, discover, explore, have faith, but love more and learn and relearn all that God made you for the 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 adult in that situation or the person reading it is going to understand what that means and the beauty of that because life teaches us that lesson and right the relearn uh, right. is a something that all of a sudden I'm imagining a parent reading this who's experienced deconstruction in their faith right Mm-hmm. And they read that word. I get to relearn. I don't have to stick with what I've been given. But um, so often I think, you know, those words, faith like a child. I think sometimes we think that means it's blind faith, right? Kids just believe everything you tell them. That's not true. Um, but kids do have this ability to take the big and make it simple and then sit with that for a little while. And simple doesn't mean... Um, I don't know. Simple can just mean sort of getting back to the bare facts. I mean, the idea of like, you're loved by God. You can say that. What does that mean? Like, it's actually our, our, our saying for our church is you are like, we exist to remind you that you're loved by God. It's a returning to the thing that already is true. Um, and I think that so often children's books, especially those that are in, in, in the faith world, they, they're so busy trying to shape this moral lesson or this idea right. into these points. And this is what you need to take. This is what you're, this is the lesson. Oh, I'm going to tell you this really cool story, but let me tell you, I'm going to also define that story for you and not let it speak for itself. So I think that my, my hope is that while there are moments in my book that might feel like a teachable a teachable time or a teachable sentence. Um, my hope is that the words and the, the illustrations create an opportunity for that kid to feel and, and that those words would sink in, that those parents would, that, you know, it's the idea of being the, the repetition of words. Like I see myself as I write liturgy for kids. Um, I love that. And, that parents get like, you know, that people who have little ones in their lives that, you know, that, I mean, I have lots of people who are, you know, foster parents that read these, you know, read these words to their kids. And so like, I, um, it's been, I never thought that I would find so much like joy in the, in, and so much creative energy into, in this space, but I, but I do. And so it's a, I, it is a, beautiful thing for me to just be able to sit and 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 
imagine what it's imagine what I'm going to write next and think about it. The, um, this isn't completely public yet, but it's sort of public, it's semi-public, but, um, I, you know, I mentioned my friend, Rachel, um, Rachel held Evans and, you know, she passed away in uh, 2019 and, uh, gosh, has it been since 2000? Was it only 2000? I mean, I just saw Dan a couple of weeks ago and it's hard. Yeah. Right. It feels oh. sometimes like it was yesterday and many times in sometimes my life. It, it feels like it's 10 years. years. Like it just, you know, and she was a, um, she was a force that the world, like there's not going to be another race. You know how, like, and I, I know that people use that. Like she came along at, at a time that was perfect for her thing and what I love like every anyone who knew her uh, the one thing that I've I've realized over and over again is how many of us can go back into our emails and find a note from Rachel that uh, that was sent to us at very particular times when we needed to hear from her like and I her her funeral is still like it it was one of the most diverse beautiful groups of people that I have ever been a part of and so I bring I bring that up because in uh this 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 journey of writing children's books one of the things that uh the last thing that Rachel put together was a the last idea she sent to her agent was an idea for a children's book I actually knew that. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say something about it. <laughs> and um, I, I was asked to write that, finish it, and and it was you know I you know, I during that whole time I was going through some of the most difficult time in my life personally, um, and 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 so much of my life was felt so out of control. And then I had this gift of writing this idea. And the book, is, the book is called What is God Like? And it comes out in May. And it is um, this beautiful message that I swear there were moments, and I told Dan this, I was like, there's moments when I, have, when I swear I felt like I was channeling her. Like, I mean where it was this, um, what a gift to be, to take somebody whose ideas, who was a friend, but also somebody you, I deeply respected. Somebody, you know, who, whose writing had affected me and to take on that, the, that, that, that story of, of continuing something that she was writing, um, and bring, and, and, and hopefully do it justice. And it was, um, it was a beautiful, hopeful thing, but like even writing her idea, it was, I saw it as writing a, you know, writing liturgy for, for, for children, writing, writing ideas about big things about healing and hope and God. This is one of the things that like kind of gets to me a little bit about, um, 
both of you grew up in conservative settings. And in a lot of those conservative settings, women aren't allowed to lead or teach, but they are allowed to lead and teach children, which I think is your most influential thing to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, most, it's always shocking. Like uh, one time I had a very reverse situation where my boyfriend was a children's pastor and that was, we were at two different churches. I wasn't taking advantage of him as a lead pastor, Um, (laughs) but it was always sort of funny when people would be like in this relationship, guess which one of them is a children's pastor. People would always guess me, um, right? Tiny little girl versus big, tall dude. But Mm -hmm. um, his thing was like, if I'm going to influence the world, I'm going to start with the little peeps. Um, Again, because I can take, it's a liturgy, it's a way of being. And I think about, you know, you said foster children, read your book. And that just hit me incredibly how much you know, as a foster parent, one of my best friends just became a foster parent two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And um, journeying with her in that, um, you know, she's a social worker. And so she really kind of thought she knew what it would be like to be a foster parent. And then it blows your whole world open because she's always thought, I don't have time for a child. So this is a great way to, I want a child kind of thing. And now she's absolutely bonded to this child, but she realizes she doesn't know the length of time this child will be in her life. It might be forever. It might be one more week. It might be this kid is in the system. So the idea that she could impart something. So liturgy is the work of the people. It forms us. It's a, it's not just like words that we say again and again, it becomes a part of us. Um, and and it, think, should, it, it should transcend right. various ideas, various people groups, various like situations. And so, so there's some very intentional things that I try to do um, that I, you know, I avoid any language that involves birth or the day you were born or that because that doesn't translate to some people who have either adopted children or who have, you know, are foster parents or whatever. And so, um, and I avoid pronouns for God and I avoid like, because I just, I don't want, there are some children who have had really bad experiences with a father figure or a mother figure. And I want, I don't, I don't, God, God is always already a complicated enough concept um for a child to understand why complicate it with ideas that um you know people were like but what about jesus well gee well i mean technically jesus saw god as the father as his father and so like i don't that's don't think that's the reason why we all should do that and so um so anyway so like it is like and, and then with rachel's books we we I do use, it's the first, but it'll be the first book that I use pronouns for God, but I use all of them. Um, you know, and so like I use he, she, and they, and it's, um, it's, it's and, and it's so different from what I'm used to write. Like it's, it's not rhyme. I don't like, I don't rhyme anything. It's, it, it's just, it's just words and ideas. And it is, um, I can't wait. I mean, I, it's, uh, yeah, it's just really exciting to think about, but I continuously think about uh, how so many of my friends and so many of you, Josie included, are rebels, right? Like, but in a way that 
is just sort of um, good trouble. You know, as we sit and talk today, we're still waiting for the election results. There's this like, and a lot of us and however you feel. Uh, I have a feeling we don't have very many Trump supporters that listen to us, but um, <laughs> hope not. Probably. Because I'm Josie would find them. Just kidding. She would not. You have conservative friends. Uh, but there is this like, how can we be revolutionary in ways that might not? How can we make space for this profound um, newness and difference. So like I always joke around, like our community is LGBTQIA completely inclusive and affirming. And people are like, well, do you have that on a sign? And I was like, no, we just have like a sign that says you're already loved by God. And it happened to have like a rainbow in the back, but that was like, you're already loved by God with a rainbow suggested to folks in the community. Be like, I don't need you to be anything different. But it wasn't like a middle finger to people who that isn't their story or like it's how can we make space for other people is often subtle or like a, a book that you may not even notice that the pronouns are, you know, it's it's this it's this beautiful way of liturgy. I mean, it's, I don't even know how to say it any better well, than how that. Can I, how can I welcome people to the table without pointing out that I am welcoming you to the table because I think that you have been this or you have gone through this or what. Right. It is like, it is a, I want my books, my, my, you know, certainly my books have are in, uh, you know, in the households of people who would think and feel much more conservatively than I ever would imagine. Um, But I also have people with who's, who read them to their transgender children. And it's the only book about God that they read to their kids. And that, that's more precious. Oh, that's huge. Like, and that is a, that is a gift that I, um, that's incredible. And then I've had, you know, women in their fifties with no children at all, read it, use one of my books as some, as, as their only that there is our only spiritual information that they engaged during cancer treatment. So for every single day that she had, you know, chemotherapy, she would read when God made you before she went to bed. And so, and so like, that's that I'm like, I didn't write that book for that, but man, like it's, it's beautiful to see how words of hope words, words of, good words about God can transcend um, to so many spaces. So, Yeah. And spaces you didn't anticipate. Yeah. And that's, but that's art. I think that's the beauty of, you know, beauty of, of, of art where it can sort of transcend what's the intention um, or the, you know, when you sit, when you sit down to write something, your why becomes, becomes irrelevant. In 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 in, uh, in some cases, because it takes on a whole, it takes on a different why for somebody else. And only when you engage your why fully, when you're not overly considering. I think one thing we've noticed with all the different people that we've interviewed. I mean, we've interviewed from like a choreographer to uh, just you cannot imagine our, her friend, who's this huge mural creator. I always like to ask the question, like, who are you thinking about when you write it? And often it's like, I'm not actually 
or the audience that I'm thinking of isn't necessarily, it's always like one person, Morgan Harper Nichols, who's a friend of mine is a, she's like a spoken word artist. Um, Funnily enough, uh, I met Rachel and Morgan on the same, we were all, the three of us were the keynotes. Well, I, Rachel and I were the keynotes for this event and Morgan at the time was primarily a musician. So she was a musician at this thing. And then the three of us hung out in the dressing room um, and became friends and um, years ago. But Morgan said like, I always think of like one person. And then we also had this other Ariel who is a, you know, model spoken word person. She's amazing. And Ariel said the same thing. I think of like the one person and then you don't realize the one person's actually for them. Millions of people follow them. And And I bet there are times though, one thing that I've learned about my own story is that I often find myself writing to me as a kid. Yes. That's what she said. It's like, sometimes it's this thing. It's like that, 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 that kid, uh, that kid in you, the, the kid that's been hurt, the kid that has seen it all, the kid that has felt it all, the kid that believed with all his heart, you know, all of that. And so I, I probably in the very beginning of writing children's books, I probably would have told you that I wrote for my kid. And there's certainly a part of that would be true. Like, I think that because I'm building on this idea of, of being a dad and, this beautiful soul that I'm get to watch and like live and watch their story and be, be sit in the front row for it. And, but the, the, the more, the more therapy that I, <laughs> I have walked through, the more I realized that I, um, I have was writing from, I was writing for that kid in me and that kid in me can relate to so many kids, the other kids that are in other people. So. Oh, yeah. I think that is something that I've come to terms with also in therapy. Shout out to therapy. <laughs> yes. yes. If BetterHelp wants to sponsor us, we'd be great for that. Go for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've found that all aspects of art that I do are not necessarily even for me as who I was as a child, because I recognize that I had the incredible privilege of having an Enneagram 8 personality, you know, (laughs) nobody can come at me, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I do all these things and like I write and I do photography and I do everything I do is for little Josie. If I weren't an Enneagram 8, if I was shy, if I was demure, if I didn't have the capacity to advocate for myself. Um, And I feel like sometimes we often as creatives forget that, that, they're just people that are so different than us. And I mean, you do that so well with your books. Like you don't use pronouns. You use no birthing references. Um, and I think that's how we will transform the world. And starting with kids is so transformative. Because like you said, there's not a lot of books like the ones that you write. And I was a kid who devoured every single book in my way to the point where I read chapter books way too early as a kid. Um, because it just wasn't enough. And I think adding to that is very respectable, Matthew Paul Turner. (laughs) (laughs) I think about uh, growing up with a kid with, or with parents who were so busy. My parents are amazing, amazing people. Um, But my dad was a physician, my mom a nurse. um, And, but the thing I remember is them reading books to me. And I remember the they would use voices. And I know that sounds ridiculous to think, but my, 
my mom isn't necessarily silly. She's British, you know, she's funny, but she's not always silly unless she's with kids. And um, it's funny because she's done a lot of uh, work. So she was a nurse, but she integrated special needs kids into the classroom. So in Canada, where I grew up until I was 14, that's like a thing is trying to have kids kind of have um, both for the kids who are mainstreamed and for the kids who are not mainstreamed to have this experience of having um, other special needs in a space. So they learn how to like that that's not weird or different and they don't have their own classroom. We're all mm -hmm. together. So my mom integrated special needs kids into classrooms. And so she, my mom reading and I love when she reads to kids because there's this other side of my mom that has these voices and it's like a different getting to see that side of my mom or my dad reading books to me when he was so busy. Mm. I think those are, those are the most moments or where people feel loved in a way. Like I love books um, as a way of connecting and saying the thing that you may not have words for. Right. So that's cool. do you know the one art? I loved about my mom reading is that it was one of the few times where sitting in her lap gave me her point of view. Oh. And so we shared like I felt loved and I was seeing what she was seeing. Like there is this, so I, like when I picture those moments, I picture all, I, I like I, I, it's hard for me to even picture sitting next to my mom. I was in her lap. She was, we were in a rocking chair and I was seeing what she was seeing. And there were, you know, it's sort of like our, something aligned and you felt, you, you, you felt like you were one, one person for a little bit. I don't know that. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but that's that there. I, I always visualize. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I'm so, I mean, I think that's the, the artist ways to like figure out how can I put the thing out that's inside of me, recognizing that it's the thing that's inside of me, but maybe it's a gift that I've been meant to give the world. And maybe, maybe it is that I'm to write the memoir, but maybe it is that I, I'm to get as simple and small as a child's book, or I'm to get as, you know, bold is a big mural, but all of them have that same sort of helping other people have different lenses and yeah. maybe discover that that was their lens in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I laugh because I'm looking at my bookshelf, which has most, I have this bookshelf that's like friends. So all the friends that I have that are authors, there's a lot of you, you guys really break me because I, <laughs> I, I, even when people send me their advanced copy, I still buy their book. You know, because I think it, like, I like to see that. So I have so many books here. But the other, the only other book that's on the shelf is a children's book from when I was little that I've had since I was tiny. Yeah. Because I don't know the author, but they were my friend. And yeah. as a kid, that book is called Mortimer Be Quiet, which is one of my <laughs> favorite books. And again, my brother used to read it to me because he thought I was loud. So he would read it to me and yell, Sarah, be quiet. <laughs> it's like his favorite part of the whole book. Um, thank you so much, Paul, for checking a little bit of your story. One of the ways that we like to uh, end the, the show is to ask the question, if people can make space either for themselves or other, what's one tangible way that they could do that? I know it's a big question. Find something that is, um, find something practical that gives you life. And I'll explain. I am 
ADHD. I am all over all over the place. I like my life is like feels messy sometimes, and it feels unresolved or un um, unkept at times. Um, but the, t- the the moments when I am baking and I'm following a specific menu, there is peace in the idea of me following this this line. Of, of, of things. And if I do all those things correctly, there's a good chance that I'm going to create something that is yummy or something that my kids are going to love. And, and so for, for me, baking has become this center point or this centering um, thing that I have gone to over and over and over again, because it, for me, this, because it, because everything else can be chaotic, but I can have this little moment in my kitchen for 45 minutes and I can put together this thing and I can follow this process and I can do it in a way. And if I do it in a way, I'm going to get not instant, but almost instant gratification in some capacity. And so, um, I think that it is, which I never would have said, thought that going against my personality would bring me something so like helpful and peaceful. So like, I mean, in, in my, in my most stressful times, um, I go to the kitchen and I look for things that ingredients and things that I can put together and maybe bake something. It sounds meditative. Yeah. I mean, I know that that, that probably isn't your, a common answer, but it is something for me that is, um, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of like, for me, there is something beautiful about this scientific idea that if I do all this, I'm going to get this, that's part of it, but it's also just this process just, and, and following the process. And, um, and I, it centers me. So I love that making space for yourself by creating something for you. It's baking. Um, I definitely redo furniture with that because there's a beginning and an end. And I think so much of our life and our work is vague and big and big blobs. And so to have like a project Josie during uh, quarantine and while we've been waiting for the elections, it's so fun to follow her Etsy um, Instagram because I'm like, this woman is putting out jewelry like it is going to solve all the problems of the world because it's a thing she can beginning and end. It solves all the problems in my head. Uh, the other thing that I the other thing that I do is I carve um, uh, I cotton, wood bark, cotton wood bark. So this is this used to be the bark on a tree in uh, British Columbia, Canada, and um, and so you can kind of see it's dug out in the back. And so I found this medium on the internet many years ago, and it. And it's a it's very easy wood to carve, and so I make all these little houses um, and things out of it. And and it's one of those. It's funny because it's like they're really like there's a lot of people that would never want this put in their house, and I could care less. Like I I, I love these little things. I love creating these little like windows, and I don't know. There's yeah. So this is sort of something else that I I do. I love that. I did not so know that sick. about you at all. <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> That's so cool. You whittle. You essentially whittle. I, I, I whittle. I, uh, and, and it's so, yeah, I, I, whittle, I whittle cottonwood bark, which is an, an odd As thing. As one does. I love yeah, these. I, yeah. I mean, it's, well, it, it's, it's only a habit that like, 75 year old men do but i if you if i go online and i find all the people that are doing it it's always somebody who is very very old um and i just i don't know yeah it's something where i can be in a room and be doing something but also be present and not yep i always tell people to find a little hobby you can do while watching netflix like i crochet all of my pillow covers and (laughs) i make jewelry it's especially during covid i think it's really important to have a little something to do with your fingies absolutely absolutely and you and you get to learn and create this stuff that that just even if it's not as pretty as 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 somebody else might think it it doesn't matter like you've made this like i've made things now um like i've also carved walking sticks for my kids and each and i'm working on my my third one and so like but these are these are things that like maybe my kids will have long after I'm gone. I mean, because that's, and it, is it because it's the prettiest thing? No, it's because dad made it. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing time with us. Thank you for thank what you you're for putting out. Me. I'm really excited. All the colors of Christmas is coming out um, yes. or is out. It, it um, is. Out. It's, and yeah, it's anywhere. a great book to have for, I will be, uh, there will, be a copy being read at our church for sure. Um, such a joy to have that. Um, how can we get people to find you? Can they, they can find you in target, which I just think to me, that's the end of fame right there. (laughs) And I literally found like, uh, my, uh, all the colors of Christmas just got put on target bookshelves this week. And so like Ah. it, it is, uh, it's there. Um, it, uh, you can find me at uh, Amazon or at Barnes and Noble or at, you know, go support your local bookstore. You, you might have to order it because not all of them have it in stock, but I know that many of them are struggling right now. And so they would, could really use, you know, that support. So we, we share, uh, the Evans family as friends. And I was recently, Dan helped me in the Airstream, getting my Airstream. It's a long story. It was on his property. (laughs) Poor man. Um, I, wrote raised the property value of his new home by taking my airstream off of it um (laughs) but in that tiny town my nephew came to see me and in that tiny town was a bookstore for kids that my nephew went crazy in because he loves books as a eight-year-old he loves books um and so found the coolest books there and so i know they'll have it there so Find it at your little tiny bookstore if you can. Um, and if you want to find more about Matthew himself, MatthewPaulTurner.com. Um, follow him on Instagram. Just an incredible human. Great friend. Try to make him your friend. DM him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great human. It has been wonderful to be together. I'm uh, Rev Sarah Heath on all the social media. How can they find you, Josie? I am Josie Takes the World on Instagram and Josie Takes The on Twitter. That's true. And um, friends, you can also leave us a voicemail at www.anchor.fm slash making spaces. That's the first time I've done that all by myself. We're working on some really exciting merch. I'm so over the moon. We've got some t-shirts coming out. We've got a pen that also is like a screwdriver. We've got great stuff coming out. So we'll tell you more about that later. Other than that, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week when we'll be saving the space for you. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.